Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. You braved the, the dreary day. Good, good to see you, though. I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning and thankful to be starting uh, a new series with you uh, called Belong. And um, I'll say this, this was kind of my idea, just so you know, we have a sister church in Wilson and me, uh, the pastor there is Pastor Gary, he's my dad, and most of you know this, but some of you don't, but either way, we every week we study together and work on these uh, these topics together, and sometimes... He's like, okay, son, what would you like to preach? Uh, most of the time, he's got the year planned out pretty well, but he had, he had a blank spot here. And I got to admit to you, I've been feeling a way, and maybe it's just the way I am feeling, but I think it's from the Lord Jesus, and that is we, we need to get back to basics on a couple of things and really understand what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a church, uh, to get back to some things. I feel like some of you are newer here, and maybe it just would be good for you to hear from the pastor and hear from God's Word what we're trying to do and and what we're trying to be. And so this very first one, for some of you, you seasoned Christians, whoever you are. I don't think that's really a thing so much. We're just all disciples who are hopefully looking more like Jesus every day. But I'm I'm trusting today that this is not only going to encourage you, but maybe challenge you afresh. And for some of you in the room today, I pray the Lord really touches your heart that you can be confident in Christ Jesus. That's the title today is Be Confident. What would that look like to have confidence that you're part of God's family? Now, I want to pitch this out here. If, if you've not done Life on Life Discipleship, you can post this. Um, this is something we do. It's supposed to be this organic kind of relationship where one one guy and one guy, one gal and one gal get together, maybe have a meal together and and talk through some of the most some basic things, but also some very missional kind of things over a few weeks together. And if you're interested in that, you've not done that before, put that somewhere. Write that down. Let me know after service. Put that on your connection card. But this is one approach that we have to being discipled. Now, i got to admit something. This is never meant to be a program. It's meant to be an, a mentorship that is, is lasting. That it would be uh, a person that you get to know really well and hold you hold one another accountable of these things. But the reason I bring this up is we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about really the first section of that material, and that is what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have confidence? What does it truly look like? Because here's the really... Here's the bad news. We've got some really bad examples. Uh, there's, there's churches all over our, our country that are not the greatest examples of what it means to be a Christ follower. And there's also people that you run into all the time that they say they're a Christian and you and I both know that their life looks to be a whole different thing than what you thought that meant. Maybe, maybe that's how you've been feeling. Like you say, all right, I'm a Christian, but I don't know what that exactly means. I don't... And I don't always live that out. And today I want, I want to help you with your level of confidence because there's a couple of things that you ought to feel certain about. You know, God, I don't believe in His Word ever wants us to remain in doubt. Doesn't really intend for us to remain in a place where we have no confidence in our faith. In fact, there's way too many scriptures I could have gone to today to help you with your 
confidence, your assurance. So it brings me to some questions that only you can kind of dwell on and chew on while we're here together today for the next few minutes. And that is, you know, one question that you may have heard many times, it used to be a thing we would use evangelistically. Like I I would go for many summers, I'd go to a a beach somewhere when I was in college. One time it was Daytona Beach, Myrtle Beach. And we would ask these kinds of questions like, if you were to die today, how sure would you be that you would go to heaven? Now that's like a really crazy question to hear for a drunk guy on a beach in Daytona Beach. All right, It's a really blows their mind. They just look at you cross-eyed like, I was just down here to party, man. I don't know what's going on. But I would throw that at them and it kind of, sometimes, it, it would often end up in some very unusual conversations, but it's a good question in one sense. It's a good question because we, as people of faith, should be able to answer it. We should be able to answer it with confidence. So I wonder for you, friend, today, do you think you'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus after you die? If your answer is, I hope so, this message is for you. If your message is, is yes, but I'm longing for others, then this message is for you. I, this message, I believe, is for you no matter what. But I pray today you will leave with such a sense of joy and confidence and that this will really <laughs> cause you to know you belong to God's family. Whether it's this church, whether this is your church home or not, you can know, you can be confident that you belong to God's family. Amen? That's my hope today. And so as we wrestle in the book of Hebrews... Some of my favorite scriptures are in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, and one of them we're going to dig in on today is in Hebrews chapter 10. And I believe here the writer of Hebrews is giving confidence to these primarily Jewish believers that they're in the family of God now, and the way in which they should think about it has completely and utterly changed. Now I'll preface it by saying this. There's a reason you have an Old Testament. Some of you kind of see that as maybe an appendix or something in your Bible. It's not. God's been working on His grand narrative of redemption the whole time. And the Old Testament so heavily informs what Christ has done. I would urge you get in it. I know there's spots in Leviticus Numbers where it's, it's tough reading. But get through there and you're going to see things like what we read today in Hebrews are going to just explode off the page. Because this is what Jesus has done for us that it's hard to understand unless you first understand how just God is and just how far from Him we really are apart from Christ. And that's why the good news is so good. I wonder today sometimes if good news, the good news of Jesus doesn't sound like really good news because somehow we think we're really in a good place and we've, we've not managed to see the distance of somehow you could just see how Deep the chasm is between you and a, and a heavenly, holy God. And yet Jesus has bridged that gap. Then this news becomes amazing beyond compare. So we're in Hebrews today, chapter 10. And I believe you're going to see three really, they're really clear. Three exhortations here, commands, if you will. They're, they're, they're in the, the subjective though. So it's like we have the power to do it. We can choose to do it. And I hope you're going to see that with me as we dig in. Roman, or, uh, Hebrews 10, uh, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, that's our big word today, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen? I cannot wait to unpack some of this. Just reading it really encourages me. And the first thing, there's, you're going to notice there's three let us statements in the text. And hopefully you notice that. Let us. Let us. Those are, those are our commands today. Those are our three exhortations. So the first one is this. The first exhortation is draw near to God in full assurance of faith. What is it? Draw near. He says, let us draw near. Cool. That's amazing. He begins this whole statement with the word therefore. Now, I didn't want to cover all of chapter 10, although it is a real joy to read. But I want to just just look back for a moment if you've got your Bibles. I'll read just a snippet. This whole chapter, he's talking about how the law was good, the law was great, but we couldn't fulfill it, and yet Jesus did every bit of it and more. And now our position before God is a place that the prophets couldn't have seen, that, that, that no one could have really known, and now these Jewish believers can come into the throne room of God by the ultimate sacrifice. And look at this. I just want to read it for a moment. In verses 17 and 18, just before the therefore, it says of God here, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So what's happened? In Christ Jesus, you've been totally, utterly forgiven. All sins, no matter the the degree that you think they are, they've been paid for. And not only that, we have no more offerings to make because it's been made. There's no topping the offering of the cross. It is good, more than good enough. It is sufficient for our salvation. So why can we have confidence? This is why he comes now into verse 19 with a therefore brothers. He's talking here to the church. He's talking to believers. Friends, you should be confident. Why? Because this is what Christ is saying. It is done. It is paid for. And so what is our part in the process? You can have confidence. You can have boldness. Knowing all of these things that now in verse 19 it says the holy places... A better translation, in fact, even than this, if you could unpack this word, it really has to do with the most holy place. Like the holiest place. The the ESV could have even said the holiest of holy places. This is better. The writer of Hebrews here is, is not talking about the synagogue or the temple of God there in Jerusalem, which was a holy place that none of us would be allowed in. I'm not a Levite priest. I'm certainly not the high priest. And he was only allowed in there sometimes. No, this is a different place. Holiest, holier place. The very throne room of God. Do you understand what that means? 
it, it would have been baffling for them. I feel like we almost take it for granted that we can get down on our knees in prayer and enter the Holy of Holies. I, I wish that we didn't hold that so flippantly. I wish that I didn't. I, I wish that for just a moment I would really consider how amazing it is that the creator of the universe, the one who is timeless, the one who stands outside of all this, the one that even in that very moment saw me and for some reason still made my goofy butt, he did it and saved me. That same God, I'm allowed to talk to him in person. Do you understand how unbelievable that is? I know sometimes I miss it. I wish for just a moment our prayer would begin to look like that. I'm confident of this, that we often push prayer aside as something, you know, the church has been commanded to do it. It's something that we should do. But if we understood what it really was, well, no one would have to urge us to do it. There would be no pressure. Be like getting the opportunity to talk to the most important person in the world. And I get that chance every day. I can just dial them right up. It's better than a cell phone. This is crazy. Lord, I personally repent that sometimes I just flippantly deal with prayer. And yet this is what's been promised to me. I get to go to the holiest of holy places. Why? Because in verse 19 of the blood of Jesus, we have access, we have payment. This is sacrificial language. All of this language here in this text when you understand the, the system of the Old Testament, what it looked like to come to this place in a holy way, Jesus is that picture. Here it says, by the new and living way. The, the Greek here is very interesting. It's prosphaton kaizosan, which is this idea of something that's been freshly killed. It's, that's a really crazy term. It's almost like a hunting term, like you just got a fresh kill, right? This is the idea of this, this new way is the sacrifice of Jesus a fresh payment? It's such a wild way of putting it. And it would have been wild for them to hear that like, now I can come into the Holy of Holies by this person who stepped in on my behalf. And this is exactly what Jesus is, is teaching in his, his own lifespan. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then it goes on in verse 20 that this curtain that once separated all of the people. This temple thing was really interesting, y'all. Like for, for us, like almost all of us in the room are, are what you call Gentiles, right? We're not, most of us are not Jewish. Maybe some of you have some heritage of that, but we wouldn't have even been allowed in that first room, much less the holy room that only one guy got to go into sometimes. And yet there was this curtain that, that was in between them. And on the, on the day that Christ was crucified. Part of that was torn. It was torn right down the center and kind of implied something there. But this curtain, we could never see it. None of us, none of us would have ever been able to see the holiest of holy places. Imagine how amazing that would be to a Jewish audience now hearing this, that are you telling me I can see that place? I can go in there? The, the word is no less fervent now for us. It's just as good if not better, really. We couldn't even go in the room. We couldn't even see the curtain, much less go behind it. Friends, if you lack confidence in your faith, if you lack an understanding of how far you are from God, I want you to see this. 
You couldn't even go in the room. Nor could I. My sin so separated me from Him. Not just the things I've done, the things I've thought. I'm so far from God's holiness. It's not even close. I couldn't even go in the room. I couldn't even see the curtain He's talking about here. And yet, because of Christ Jesus, I can talk to Him in person. There's no better word than that. I pray so much that you would, you would dwell on this. And believers in the room, this is for you specifically, this word. He says, now, let us draw near. He starts using some very biblical kind of language here. This word draw near is throughout Scripture, old and new. In fact, here's a place. Look at Leviticus 9, and I could have used many. It says, then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering. Come closer, come closer. And then it it gives us four statements that kind of follow this. So what is the manner in which we should draw near, believers, brothers, sisters in Christ? What does it look like to draw near? Well, here's four things that I think could really differentiate that. First is, verse 22, it says, with a true heart. That means I come with a sense of integrity, honesty. I'm not coming before the God of the universe with a lie. And some of us do this even without knowing. We, we're trying to put on a facade. We're here. There's a lot of people around in this room. You may not know everybody very well. And so you're trying to put on everything just right and look the part. But a true heart is broken before God. A true heart comes to the altar and says, this is me. Jesus, this is me in my tatters, in my mess. This is me. But I'm still coming before the altar with a true heart. In fact, Isaiah the, the prophet here, the Lord has something very specific to say to the people at that time. It says in chapter 29, this people, because this people, they draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. I pray to God that's not who we are as a church. I'd rather us look an absolute mess, but at least be real. Be, be true to, to what was going on in our heart. Yes, I know I'm broken. Yes, I know I have shame. I'm guilty. I've made mistakes. I've done some stuff this week I'm not proud of. I've said some stuff. I just, I don't come and I pay lip service to God saying, oh, I'm okay. I'm good and you're great. And I lay all that mess down. I, I just bring my baggage before him and say, this is, you know what's in here. It's just foolish for me to even pretend that I'm okay. Maybe, maybe Christianity is really hard for people in that. Maybe, maybe laying down your pride, maybe for you today, friend, is like the hardest thing you can do. But to be honest, you've got to lay that thing down. In order to really have a true heart before God, you've got to have a willingness to say, you know what, I haven't done everything right. I, I, I'm not perfect. and I come with a true heart instead of, lips of honor and a mouth that draws near, but heart that's far from Him. He says also a full assurance of faith. That is, I come with a sense of confidence. This is a cool way to pray. (laughs) I come honestly. I come with all my dirt and say, God, you already know all this and cleanse me of this. I repent of all this. Help me with all of my stuff. But I'm also coming confidently, knowing that this God has moved mountains This God has done some incredible things in Scripture. He's done some incredible things in my life. I've seen Him do it. I've seen Him do it in some of y'all's lives. So I come with a sense of confidence saying, you know what? This heart of stone, this mess I got going on, God, I know you can clean it up. I know you can. 
And I'm laying it down at your feet today. God, I know this sickness I'm wrestling with right now, this this brokenness, this broken relationship, God, you're going to do what is best for me. And I'm coming confident with that. Full assurance of faith. And then it gives these other two terms that express kind of why we're allowed. So what does it look like? We come with a true heart. We come confidently. Assurance of faith. And here's why. Because our hearts are sprinkled clean. Our bodies have been washed. This idea of a sprinkled clean heart is so amazing here. Again, Old Testament kind of language that now, now instead of the lamb on the altar that they've, that they've sacrificed, we're, we're now like the altar, in fact. That the lamb's blood has been sprinkled on us and we're now clean, our bodies washed. We can confidently draw near. What's your move? What's, what's your first move today, believer? Draw near. Draw near. It's interesting, if you come to this place today and you have a sense in your spirit that God is far from you, that something is wrong, that there's something wrong in your relationship, you don't have this kind of assurance. And yet you're also the kind of person who never comes near to God. Who has no habit in your life whatsoever of entering in this holy of holies, this amazing thing that you get to do and yet you never do it. And you wonder why there feels distance there. It's because you've been given a charge and it's not, it's not the difficult one. Can we just be honest with the text for a second? Which is the harder charge? That Christ Jesus laid His life down and sprinkled us with the sacrificial blood that now we are free and our sins are paid for and all of that? Or that we would just do this? I'm a little closer today, God. I know I need to go a whole lot farther. I need to draw a whole lot nearer, but I'm taking one more step towards you today. One more step towards you today. I'm sorry, that's the easier step. You know it. It's not hard to understand. And yet, for whatever reason, we're the kind of people that can't find the time. And that's confusing. It's confusing to me. I'm not blaming you. I'm pointing at myself, wondering why. Why, when I have this kind of access, could I not take a single step? Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and and help in time of need. We can confidently draw near because... He's got this kind of sympathy and mercy and grace. He can sympathize with us. Also, He makes intercession for us, the Scripture says. Look in Hebrews 7, it says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. That means nobody's too far gone. That means when people walk in the building, and people say this to me a lot, like I'll I'll invite them to come hang out with me at church or whatever. I'll say, come, you know, come, come check this out. And they'll say, you know, if I walk through those doors, I'm probably the building will catch on fire. Like something bad's gonna happen if I ever go anywhere near that building, and yet you don't understand what Jesus has been doing for all of time. Making intercession on your behalf to the uttermost. Look, friend, I don't care what you've done, he saved you to the very farthest extent of how you could be lost. (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's no way you can do anything to make Him love you less. And yet we have the responsibility of drawing near. It is our faith, our trust in Jesus that pleases God, in fact. 
He goes on after our chapter we're covering today in chapter 11 of Hebrews and says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. It's impossible to please Him without faith. What's he talking about? What is this drawing near? It's not really so much about proximity, like where you're standing, like, okay, I'm going to church or I'm in the right place. It's relational. Look, here's what I mean by that. Just because me and my wife, Nicole, live in the same house does not mean we're drawing near. Some of you know this better than, than you wish you did. You've lived in the same houses with people and you're far from close. Maybe you've got kids at home right now and you're like, man, we're just not, we're not in a good place. They're living upstairs, but we don't talk. Drawing near to your spouse, to your children, drawing near to those people you work with, live with, it doesn't happen just by being in the same room. You know what I'm saying here? Does this, this is so clear. I, I, don't even, I feel like I don't need to explain it. I've got to put work in. I've got to actually open my mouth. And just so you know, I don't really like that part. I do it on Sundays. By the time I leave here, I'm out of words for like the whole week. I mean, I'm out. I'm not the talkative type. It's not my personality. And yet my wife really, really is. Um, the good news is though, she likes a good listener. So I can just, you know, listen attentively. And every once in a while I'll say, I agree. Or that sounds true to me. I, don't, I can't do yes or no because then she'll think I'm not listening. So I got to mix it up a little bit. Draw near though takes work. It takes desire. It takes, I want my wife to love me more today than she did yesterday. I want us to have a better marriage in 10 years than we do now. I want my kids to have a closer relationship with me than they did when they were three. It's more important to me that my 13-year-old has a better relationship with me than my three-year-old. Because over time, I'm putting in work. This is our part to play in this relationship with a Heavenly Father. He's right here. He's waiting. He's, and He's kind of a gentleman about it a lot. Would we take the... Okay, today, God, I'm going to enter in the holy place. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to do it not just once. I'm going to keep jumping in. This is why Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's like, I've heard preachers say this. It's like you pick up the phone with God in the morning and you just don't hang up. You just keep in prayer all day. You can pray with your eyes open, friends. I know that scares you. Like some of you are like, what if I'm driving? I, I, God, this isn't like your on-off switch with God. It's not how that works. In fact, He already knows what's stirring in your brain and your heart. You can enter in the Holy of Holies all the time. This book is a love letter to you, my friends. And some of you are complaining at times, like, I don't understand it. Keep reading. <laughs> keep praying. Keep, keep asking the Lord of hosts because He says of His Word, He says, I, I will give you understanding. The Spirit gives understanding to believers. And so maybe don't start in Leviticus. There's my offering to you. Maybe don't start in Genesis. Maybe start with the book of John. See what happens there. Start in 1 John. Start in Mark. You want to get through the Gospels quick? Mark's in a big hurry. And you can get through his Gospel quickly. Stay in His Word. Stay in prayer. Will you draw near to God? Here's the second. The second let us of this text. Hold fast 
the confession of our hope. By holding fast the confession of our hope. This word hold fast means seize, hold of, keep, retain. Don't lose your grip. Instead, cling to it. What is it? The confession of hope. That is, this word confession is homologion, which means homo is the idea of sameness, and logos is word. It literally means to say the same word. And so this, is, this confession is to agree. I'm, I'm going to agree with the saints of old. I'm going to agree with the text. I'm going to agree with my friends at church that this Jesus is Lord. That is my confession. And it gives me great hope. Why? Because He's been raised. This Christ, this Jesus, He says, all your sins are paid for. I have forgiven you to the uttermost. I have offered resurrection, eternal life. This is this Jesus. So when you make that confession... Jesus is Lord. Do you see your hope? It is outstanding. Eternal life, uh, a kingdom purpose now. This is, this is where I, I often spend time. I, normally at the end of service every week, I, I recite Romans 10.9, but let me give you the whole of that text. It says in 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So this is this idea of holding fast that confession. I have made this decision that Jesus is Lord. God has raised Him. And now that gives me outstanding hope. As the Son of God and the great High Priest here, Jesus enables us to do this very thing. It says in Hebrews 4, 14, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, another verse that I thought very heavily about preaching this morning, because this is where a lot of the proof is for us, is in 1 John 5. I preached this earlier in January, and it says this, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now when you read that text, does it, do you have a sense there that God wants you to continue in your doubt? That God wants for you to wrestle your whole life wondering whether or not Jesus really paid the price for you? That whether or not heaven is a place for someone like you. Whether or not eternal life is what God intended. When I read that text, it seems pretty simple. And yet I may make it complex in my brain. But whoever has Jesus has life. Eternal life, sure. But it's bigger. It's, it's, it's life that starts at the point of salvation and doesn't end. That means God has a plan for me in this very moment. Not just some sort of heavenly plan as if I'm just getting a, an insurance plan, but a new life in Christ Jesus. Other texts could support that. A new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what am I clinging to? Here's what I wonder. Even as believers in the room, as Christians in the room, I feel like we often cling to other things. There's other stuff that we hold faster to than we do our confession. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe I, I hold faster to my wife, to my husband. 
I trust them so wholeheartedly. I know they're never going. I believe they're never going to leave me nor forsake me. And God willing, that's true. But I hold fast to that in expectation that this person will continue to meet my needs and will continue to try to fill this huge hole I have in my heart. And then for some reason, there's something missing. And I hold fast to my career. Oh, I've worked so hard. Jonathan, you just don't know. I've, I've spent year after year in school and now I've been in an internship and I've done all this work and now I've landed the job, the one I wanted. And it's going to sustain me. It's going to get me through. And perhaps it's the very thing you should be doing in life and God has truly called you to it, but somehow you moved a piece of the, the puzzle to the destination you, you made the decision that one part of your journey was the whole destination. Marriage, that's my end game. Friend, I'm sorry. It's not the greatest end game. Marriage is wonderful. Don't hear me say that. But it's not the destination. It's not. This is why when I was growing up, my dad used to say this over and over. You got to get your three M's right. You got to get your three M's right. Young people, this is good for you, all right? If you haven't heard it yet. Number one is What? Anybody ever heard the three M's? Number one is master. He's first. Number two is not mate, it's mission. And we we like number three. We like mate. We make our whole life journey about mate. We put mate on top and we wonder why my mate doesn't seem to care so much about my master. And we go, whoa, whoa. And I thought this was my mission. And our marriages are chaos. I know some of you already messed that up and you're in a marriage. Hey, look, the Lord can fix this, all right? It's going to be all right. Put Him back on top and you as a couple can realign your mission in Christ Jesus. But you could save yourself a lot of trouble if you get these three M's right. You could save yourself a whole lot of trouble, my friends, if you'll make Christ Jesus your destination and not just a piece of your little puzzle. Because He's not a piece. He doesn't fit in very well into your tiny little puzzle because He's the puzzle. He doesn't fit there. And so, when we cling to anything else that's a lesser destination, here's what happens. It saps our joy. It just does. It will over time. Even if you love, I love my spouse today. I love my job today. My destination was parenthood. I couldn't wait to have children. If that's you, boy, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. One more day. If I can just, and some of our destinations are really, really petty. Let's just be honest. Like, I just can't wait for Friday. Like, if I can just get to Friday, Friday's going to be great. And we do that every week. And then, you know what shows up? Daggone it, Monday shows up every week. It's so frustrating. Why won't Monday stop? And I long again for Friday, and it saps my joy. If I can just get through, I'm in school right now. If I can just get through one more test. I've got a long journey. If I can just get one more mile. Some of y'all haven't ridden on a trip with the Combses. Most of you haven't. There's four of them in the car. And they take turns trying to destroy my head. Like every trip, if it's longer than 30 minutes, I have a headache. I have a headache when I arrive. If I, if I ever come to visit you from a long ways and I just look like I'm glazed over and I kind of want to fight, it's, it's not you, friend. It's not. I really do want to fight. It's in me. Just took a trip this past week down to Myrtle Beach, three and a half hours. Man, they almost killed me, y'all. They really did. 
And I start going one more mile, one more mile. I start picking things down the road. I'm like, okay, south of the border is only 62 miles. All right, I can get there. And then I get there and I'm like, golly, I got a long way still left. And we pick destinations like that in life all the time. Just if I can just get through a couple more years of school. If I can just get these kids out of the house. Those destinations are imperfect. You understand this? What am I clinging to? That which I cling to is what empowers me. If I want to know how to have joy for life, if I want to have power for living, I've got to cling to a better thing. Something far better. I've got to hold fast to Christ Jesus. He's permanent. He never fails. We just sang this song and we, we were joking when we were practicing. It's like so repetitive, it's almost hurtful, right? Will he ever fail? No, he won't fail. Will he fail? No, he won't fail. And I almost wonder the writers of that song were like, we just need y'all to make sure you know this Jesus won't fail and is everlasting. When your belief, my friends, in God is unsure, you can be sure of one thing, your fear will remain. Your fear will remain. You can tell a whole lot about a person and what they really believe about God and His Word and how much they trust Him by how much fear they have in their life. And it's probably because they've held fast to a lesser destination. Here's the third, the third exhortation, the third let us here. And that is stir up one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another by considering how to stir up one another to love and to good works. This, this one really blows me up, y'all. I'm so, I'm so uncertain about whether or not we are becoming the kind of church that models this well. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with y'all. I'm just wondering what would it look like to, to, for us to do this on a level that the world would actually see? Because God speaks all the time about, oh, they will know you. They'll know you by your love. They'll know you by your brotherly affection. The world outside will see you and want what you have because you're modeling love and good works so well. I think we do it. But what degree does this have to be for the community to go, whoa, the people in that congregation are like real family. Like they're, they're given, Acts 2 talks about giving as each had need and people were willing to share. And no one, it says this crazy thing, no one went hungry. No one starved. No one was in need because they were so generous with each, with each other. That one, that one blows me up. And he doesn't just say to do it, to stir one another. But no, he says, in fact, I want you to consider it. So it's like something I'm thinking about a lot. Verse 24, consider, fix your mind on it. Careful consideration, thoughtful attention. I truly have a deep concern for stirring up others. This word stir up is crazy in the text because every other instance other than like one other, it's the idea of provoke. It's the idea of to like incite a riot. To irritate. It could even mean to irritate. So we're going to like, we're going to so stir each other up that like you can't avoid it. It's like, like you got ants crawling on you. You want to do love and good work so bad. You're just like, ah! That's the kind of stir up it's talking about here. Provoke. 
It's, it's similar, I think, to what the, the, the writer of Proverbs was saying when he wrote, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's, that creates friction. Things fall off when you do that. This command seems to imply that we would be so, so on each other and so stirring one another up that we wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it. What kind, of, what kind of wild place is that? That people would actually know us by our love. I think, I think we see this in like little small pieces, right? Some, there's probably people in your life that, that notice how loving your family is, for instance. And they're like, you know, I really like what you are doing. I'd, li- I'd like to understand how you got to that place. Like if, you got a, if your kids are very respectful or something, or your, your husband, wife, you seem very caring for one another. And people will go, you know, I really like what, how y'all got that. Well, that takes time. That takes effort. That takes a, cons- a consistency that people can notice. And if we're to do that as a church, it means consistent repetition of loving and good works that we, we have a habit of living this way with each other. That people would observe this. Well, now there's a few ways that we know we won't get to that end. And he says in verse 25, don't neglect to meet together. Well, that really should be a duh. But there is like this this constant movement in our country of, oh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I'm going to keep it personal. (laughs) I don't want to share that. Because there's hypocrites in the church and people tell me that and I go, well, duh. There's hypocrites everywhere. Uh, Every time I bump into another human being, it seems that they're a hypocrite. Every time I look in the mirror, I go, well, there's a bit of hypocrisy in you, big guy. Okay, whoop-de-doo, of course there are. But we've been called here again and again and again to be in community, fellowship of believers. And you, can't, you certainly can't model this type of place where your love would so attract people unless you're together loving. Not neglecting to meet together. Instead, make a habit of encouraging. And he goes on to finish this text by saying, all the more as the day. Now this is the day. This is like capital D day, I'm pretty sure here. Everything I read about this, this seems to be an end times eschatological kind of term. That there's a day coming when we will no longer have the opportunity to be a witness. We will be with Jesus in heaven. And then fellowship will be all the more. But, but he's saying here, while you still have time, don't neglect to meet together. Instead, be together a lot. Encourage each other a bunch. Because this is evidence of who you are. This is what I've been talking about in John chapter 13. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a model for how we reach the world. There's a lot of things we could talk about if I was going to have an evangelistic kind of message, but I can tell you one way we'll totally fail is if we're an unloving people. We will completely fail. However, we could be a group of misfits and be a group of people who aren't very good with our words, a group of people who from the outside kind of look strange, but if we're highly loving and draw each other and stir each other up to good works, Christ makes a promise that people will know we're His. And they'll be attracted to it because people desire family. 
They don't often know that the family they truly desire is the family of God, but we can show them by modeling it. Encourage and build one another up. First Thessalonians, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Let me finish with this thought, my friends. If this thing we call life is like the big game, right? That we have this short stint. Maybe God gives us 80 years, maybe less, maybe more. And if we do this walk with Christ as if we're fans, as if somehow we're in the stands, then we've, we've missed the gospel altogether. This is the really great thing about being the church. Is this isn't this isn't really it, right? This is this is a piece. This is the book of Acts says house to house and temple courts. We're doing a one and a half hour roughly service together where we fellowship and we teach the word of God and we worship together. That's important. It is like one percent of your week. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done the math on that, but it's a small small piece. And so this idea that the rest of the week. We're riding the bench or something. And like, if this, if this whole life is us in ministry, then, then we don't get an opportunity to be fans. We, we're all players. Even in this particular moment, you're not just an observer and I'm like the player. That's not how this works. Because God hasn't laid it out like that. There's no star players. Not Some of us weren't given like special, somehow special Holy Spirit, beyond measure, like we've been given gifts, sure. Each and every one of us have been given spirit gifts, but none of us were called to ride benches. <laughs> there are no holdouts either. You don't get to just say, well, you know, I better hold out for a better job. I better, when this church offers me enough, then I'll go to that one, right? We do this in church culture, like we're all, I'm holding out for a better deal. But you're the church tomorrow, friend. That's, that's the church. The church is where you go. We're all players in this thing. So if I could do anything today, friend, I hope that you would draw near to God. That you would hold fast this confession. If, and if somehow you could just, for just a moment, see how wonderful it is, your faith in Christ and what He's done for you, that you would be stirred up to love each other. I get it. There's a few of you in the room. This group over here, I don't know. Y'all might not like them over there as much. There's a reason y'all sit apart. I have a feeling. I feel it in my, in my gut. There's probably people not getting along right now in this room. You might be sitting next to the person you're not getting along with too well. I don't know. And yet our greatest witness is our love for one another. And it ain't going to happen here. Some of you have written off small groups. Well, if that's your decision, then you better find some other way to be in community with these believers or other believers. Fellowship should be happening day in and day out. And it will begin to stir us up the good works. I pray this for you. Draw near to the Father. Draw near to Him. He is already near to you. Hold fast your confession. Let's pray together, friends. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're thankful for the opportunity to be here in fellowship, but we recognize something is true, that when we leave this place, we're still the church. In fact, in some ways, we're more the church outside these walls than we are in it because it is in those places where you really show up in a mighty way to show others how much you love them through us. 
God, I, I pray this morning that You would really guide us as Your people. That it would be obvious that this church, though in, in, in perspective, maybe we're a smaller church in town, but I, I, I don't think that really matters. It seems like, God, You changed the world with, with 12 people. 11, really. And so, what was it they did then, God? I, I pray You would so encourage us with that. That we would draw near to You. We would hold fast this hope this outrageous hope we have in Christ Jesus, that we'd be stirred up to love one another all the more. God, you've commanded that in your word. Can you show us that? We agree on our part. We will, we will love one another. We will do that all the more as the day approaches. I pray, Lord, you would guide us to good works in this place. But Lord, would you do the part that you've promised, that people would observe this and want to be a part of the family of God. That's what I'm passionate for now, Lord. I have no interest in growing a bigger church or some interest in being famous. I, I, I'm, I see so many pitfalls on that side, Lord, but would you, would you bring people to yourself with us, with our church? I just want to be a part of that. Can I be a part of a group of believers that are so loving and so care for each other that people would desire to be a part of the family of God? I want to be a part of that church. Can you do that in us, God? Lord... <laughs> I recognize maybe someone's come in here today, Lord, and they just need to receive you for the first time. That drawing near is just, that's just now occurring in their heart, Lord. And friend, if that's you today and you've, you've come in this place, you're understanding maybe more clearly today or maybe for the first time today just what Christ has done for you. The opportunity you have now to be in prayer with the God of the universe, that you can enter into this holy place because of Christ Jesus and His sacrifice. If that's hitting you for, for the first time today and you're ready to make that confession of faith that you can hold fast to, if that's you, please pray with me right now. No better time. Pray these words. Jesus, I believe you are Lord. What that means is that you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of all things, but certainly my life. You are Lord of all. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, my brokenness, my shame, my guilt. I, I, I lay it all there at your feet knowing, Jesus, you've paid for it. And I'm so thankful, Christ Jesus, that you've made a way for me to be free, to be forgiven, and a way for me to see and be in the same room with a, a holy God that I might, that my prayers would be heard and that I would be in His presence. God, Jesus, thank You for that. And God, I believe that You raised Jesus from the dead. I believe in the cross and the resurrection and that gives me hope. And so now, God, I ask, would You give me courage and boldness? Give me power to cling to that. That that's, that's the right destination. Thank You for saving me. Now guide my, my steps, Lord Jesus. Dear friend, if you prayed that with me, welcome to God's family. And we're praying with you the same kinds of things. That is, Lord, lead us, guide us, help us to hold fast to You and nothing else. That we wouldn't get our motivation from something worldly, but from a greater, greater destination that is in You and the eternity that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to be a church that models love and good works to a fallen world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.